Welcome back, warriors. Kwe Tansei Sego Anibuju. Kwe Nindaluizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, languages, and governing practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And a really important part of our collective resistance and resurgence is passing down our diverse cultural values and traditions. As sovereign nations, whether it is the Mi'kmaq, Wulistikwai, Gayankahaga, or Nihia, we all have different laws, different traditions and practices that have been handed down to us generation after generation from our ancestors. These cultural traditions are steeped in our unique worldviews, beliefs, and value systems, and they form a core part of our identities. It gives us strength and a sense of collectivity. After generations of genocidal laws and policies imposed on our nations and by governments and societal practices that are steeped sometimes in systemic racism against our people and cultures, our cultural resurgence is important now more than ever. Our next guest, represents this powerful movement of cultural revitalization and the push to show our children the love and strength that can be found in our traditions. Michael Linklater is just an amazing person. I cannot believe I actually have him on this podcast. I had to get all my excitement out first before we even started the podcast. He is from Thunderchild First Nation, and he is well-known in Saskatchewan as one of the most successful basketball players and a phenomenal Native athlete. This guy has won championships at university level and the professional level, and he was even at the FIBA 3-on-3 World Cup. Like, that's so exciting. He's also the founder of a campaign that just is so close to my heart and it's close to the hearts of my own boys and it's called Boys with Braids, a powerful international campaign that makes us all super proud to be Indigenous. Michael has won so many awards. I'm not even going to be able to list them all on this show, but we will talk about some of them because it's really important to acknowledge our Native athletes and people leading the way and and um, doing incredible things for our people. Welcome to the Warrior Life Podcast, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm just, I'm so excited. And I know there are going to be so many people that are excited that I got to talk to you sort of in person, but virtual. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've just done so much, you know, when I was trying to think of the questions that I was going to ask you, I was thinking, oh my gosh, where do I start? But before we even get into it, I'd like to offer you an opportunity to introduce yourself uh, the way you like to, according to your own protocols, and a little bit about where you're from. Moichisqua nehewan maga getea, hoxkenamo chickenehewan kapixquaven, nista hakamema. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. My name is White Wolf, that's my given name, and I'm from Thunderchild First Nation. Um, I shake hands with each and every one of you, and it's an honor to be here today. Uh, I'm doing my best to learn the language, and I'm learning from the elders. So, of course, you know, with, even within my own family, I was raised by my grandparents and my grandmother didn't feel comfortable speaking to uh, people who didn't understand the language. So um, I understand now more than ever how important it is to learn the language. So I'm doing my part. So again, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much. And, and, and thanks for actually sharing that too, because I too am learning my language because of the times when my father you know, he was taught it wasn't a good thing to speak your language. You'll just get a lot of trouble if you speak it and all of those assimilatory forces. Now, those of us trying to save our language, it's really important. So thank you for doing that um, and, and sharing that. It's, I find it's important for people who are trying to reconnect and, and learn their languages again to hear that there's lots of us in that, in that same uh, situation. 
Okay, so where to start? You've done so many things from such a relatively young age. I, I don't know, but maybe I will just start with the thing that I just think is so super cool. Of course, it's basketball. And, you know, I get teased a lot by some of the my friends on the res who are like all hockey and they don't think about any other sports. But, you know, basketball is awesome. And my kids and I have always been super basketball fans. So maybe you could share a little bit about your path to being a professional athlete. Like, were you always interested in basketball from the time you were young or did that come later? Yeah, I, when I was younger, I mean, I was always active and I just think I was just always busy, always on the go. So uh, recess, I was always running around as a youngster. But um, really how I got my start with basketball was when I moved out to um, Saskatoon. I was probably around 11 or 12 years old and we just had a brand new basketball court that was built outside of our, our, our playground, our school. So when I came out for recess, um, all of the students, it seemed like everybody in the school surrounded the basketball court and all of the older kids were playing. So we created this own, we as, as spectators created this environment and this atmosphere watching the older kids play. And it was something that inspired me um, to just be in that atmosphere to see these kids playing. And I said, that's something that I wanted to do. And I had never played uh, basketball prior to that. So it wasn't sure it wasn't long after that I picked up the basketball and started practicing and playing and um, really, really, really enjoyed it, like had a lot of fun with it. And then I just noticed that I was getting better and better. The more I practiced, the more I played and, and I started setting my goals high. And I think it was I was in grade seven or eight when I kind of set the goals for myself. One, I wanted to represent Team Canada at the international level. So I set my goals backwards. I set it, um, or not backwards, so I set it from the highest point and worked my way back. So I wanted to play for the national team in international competition. I wanted to play professional. I wanted to play university. And so understanding, you know, working my way back from those steps, I needed to get through elementary school and graduate high school. So that's actually what um, what motivated me to to continue going with with my schooling and with basketball, because in order to make it to the professional ranks, you have to be one of the top players in in university. So, you know, having that always as as a, a carrot in front of me, working towards, and I'm happy to say I, I accomplished all of those goals. All of those goals, my goodness, and and to know to, to just to have that kind of forethought about that, like my path. I had no idea what my path was going to be. I just kind of meandered along and made lots of mistakes along the way. But, you know, this you took basketball from, you know, practicing as a kid and and something that you were really obviously enjoying to the university level and the professional level. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what it what it's like to play basketball at both the university level, which is pretty competitive. I mean, it's like a profession in and of itself and also at the professional level. I think for kids who are in high school right now that are thinking about that, what's most important to understand or recognize is, um, you know, I like to use analogies. So if you think about, um, you know, there's a, we're, we're both pushing a block down the street and every time we come to practice, we both get an opportunity to push that block. And once practice is done, nobody can push that block anymore. But the more you practice on your own is more opportunity for you to push that block further down the road. So I use that analogy just from a linear me measurement standpoint, because for all of the kids that are practicing with their school teams, you have an equal opportunity to get better. But when you put that work in behind closed doors when nobody else is watching, that's where you're going to start to see more gains and significant gains. So there's a lot of sacrifice that does come with it, um, sacrificing your time from your family, from your friends, from social gatherings um, and putting in a lot of hard work. And so I think, you know, I think something of the numbers is only that 7 percent of, of, of athletes that actually play um, either recreation or high school basketball actually play collegiate level basketball. 
So it's really important that, you know, you have to stay dedicated and, and work towards that. Once you get into um, university or college, you're right, it is like it is like a profession. Um, you have your practices scheduled, you have your workouts scheduled, um, you have your study halls, your classes. So it's important that you um, really set a schedule for yourself in terms of your time management and, and just staying dedicated. And, you know, I'll, I'll share with you and everybody listening that, you know, there was a point where, where I had doubt in myself. Um, and I just remember watching a game thinking, can I, could I actually play at this level? So even for myself and the success that I've had, you know, having a bit of self-doubt is, is, is normal. I think uh, a lot of people, if not everybody, goes through it where there's a moment in time where you kind of have uh, a bit of doubt towards yourself. But, you know, those moments pass and it's important that you continue to stay focused on your goal and what you're working towards and, and don't let anything stop you. I mean, these these are kind of like words of encouragement, but when you're working towards something, the only person who's going to be able to stop you from achieving your goals is yourself. You know, it doesn't matter what people say, because when I was in elementary school, I was told by my teacher that I would never play professional basketball. So again, utilizing that as, as motivation rather than a deterrent. So playing professional basketball was was fun, but a lot of people don't recognize too. So I never played overseas like the five on five, which a lot of people do. Um, I didn't play that, but a lot of people don't realize it's it's not as glamorous as, as people think. You know, when you go overseas, and this is speaking from some of my friends who I've played with, you know, sometimes they're starting in a lower tier league and they got to work their way up where the pay is minimal, the living conditions aren't the greatest. But if you have that opportunity or that dedication to make it to some of those top leagues, um, th then you'll be doing you know well for yourself. But as long as you have a passion and dedication for the game, you know, you're going to be able to, to go as far as you choose. Um, I did play on the world tour for 3x3 basketball, as you mentioned. And playing on the playing for Team Canada in the World Cup was was phenomenal experience. But I got to travel the world playing basketball, something I loved. So it's something that I'm forever grateful for. Well, that's okay. So now you've just, you know, let us into the very next topic. I want to hear about the three by three World Cup. I want to understand like how did you go from university to professional? What's the jump then to represent Canada at the FIBA three on three World Cup? I mean, that's that's phenomenal. So you think about, you know, kids playing basketball and then, you know, if you work hard enough, you do high school. And then if you're, you know, make the team in university, you're there. Professional is just, you know, the statistics around the jump from there to professional, you know, it's like you're becoming a more and more in an elite and small group. But here you got the World Cup. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, when, when we, I guess how I got my start into 3x3 was after playing 5x5, um, there was there was actually a tournament. And so the World Tour, the World Tour is, is a professional circuit for 3x3 basketball. It works very similar to, it's like the PGA or the tennis tour. So you have a group of kind of the same teams or same uh, players playing around the world in these iconic locations. Um, so how we stumbled upon it was the year after the world tour was, was um, after its inaugural season. So it was the second year of its inception. And we heard about this tournament that was in Edmonton and we didn't know about it, it was called a satellite tournament or a challenger. And so what we ended up doing was we heard about this tournament in Edmonton, 3X3. If you won that tournament, you got a free trip to Puerto Rico so uh, a couple of my teammates who we won national championship at the U of S, we said, hey, let's go win this tournament and go on vacation. So we went to Edmonton. These rules were brand new to us because they're different than the 5x5 version. It's a lot more faster paced game. So we got into this tournament. We won and we found out that, yes, indeed, we were getting a free trip to Puerto Rico, but we were playing in another tournament. So we didn't understand that this was, you know, the start of something that was going to be uh, really, really great for us. We ended up playing in that tournament in San Juan and we ended up losing in the finals in that game. But that qualified us 
for the world tour finals. So that world tour was a stop called the masters and masters has nothing to do with age. <laughs> so we played in that tournament. We um, were the runners up. So we qualified for the world tour finals and that was in Istanbul, Turkey. So we played in the world tour finals and I think we ended up finishing six that year. And then we just started playing on the tour every, every single year. And then the tour started to grow. Then they wanted it in the Olympics. So I was fortunate. FIBA asked me to sit um, as, as on the players commission. And then later they asked me to sit on their uh, 3x3 commission. So you know, we meet in Geneva once a year and we discuss, you know, how the growth of the game is going and any rule changes that we want to make. And that goes to the board for FIBA. But, you know, to, to be able to help or be a part of this entire game that made its way into the Olympics was, was something that was, um, you know, I, that I will cherish for the rest of my life. That's just so incredible. I mean, to think like you win a free trip. Yay. Oh, it's a free competition trip. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, that would set you in a different mindset. But like when you were when you were there and you were competing, were you were you nervous? Were you guys confident? Like, I mean, look at how it all turned out. You know, you were doing this for a free trip and then you end up you know, representing Canada. That's pretty astonishing. Yeah. So how, how we ended up representing Canada is that was the first ever 3x3 men's national team. And we were a part of history. But one of the things that people who are not familiar with the game or the tour is because we were reckon our, our professional team name was Team Saskatoon, which we all lived here. And we would um, travel on the world tour as that team. But because we were from Canada, what we were doing was accumulating ranking points for the National Federation. So our team, Saskatoon, on the World Tour circuit, single-handedly got the Federation, Canada basketball, uh, a bid into the World Cup. So based on all of our activity and all of our success on the world tour, we were able to get a, a qualifying spot for the country. And so with all of our experience and nobody else had nowhere near as much as us, you know, we were named the national team, you know, got to compete in the Philippines. I believe it was in 2018. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, again, a phenomenal experience. And then uh, what ended up happening after that was uh, CBC asked me to commentate the Olympics for 3x3. Uh, and that was fun. I did it at the studios in Toronto wow. and, and just a, an amazing experience. That's awesome. So you're like the Shaq commentator, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the NBA, but the native version. That's awesome. Well, instead of his, his saying is barbecue chicken, I'll be saying <laughs> manic. That's my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and what a great story because actually Canada owes you and your team for all the work that you did to put Canada in the standings like that's phenomenal yeah thanks it was yeah again a few things was mutual I mean we we owe Canada that that experience that they've given us so it was good well that's I mean you know so exciting and and happy to hear about that and I know that you know there's like so much that's beneficial in sports you know it's like teamwork it's good for your body it's good for your mind your health you know it's there's just so many good things about it. You learn discipline and teamwork. Like it's hard work. It's fun and exciting too, but it's, you know, it's, it's really hard work. So it, it goes to show for any, you know, collegiate or professional players in any sport, it's, it's really shows a strong sense of, of leadership because you're doing everything else too. Um, and, you know, I had a conversation in, in another context at another event with Jordan Tutu, and you probably know him. He's um, he was an Inuit pro hockey player, and he raised the issue of you know similar things that you were talking about. But he also raised one of the challenges for him was racism, just in general, from non-indigenous players, from non-indigenous peoples, maybe in the league, from audience members, and things like that. Is that? anything that you've ever experienced and if so how did you deal with it absolutely um it was something i dealt with i i remember being a kid and this isn't even necessarily sport related but i remember my dad my late dad taking me into even just get my skates sharpened and i was never a hockey player this was just for skating on a pond 
and the skates were really dull, but the, the, the gentleman who was serving us wanted to, you know, charge us like three times what it was. And I remember my dad just kind of, you know, losing it on the guy saying that it wasn't right. And, you know, since I was a child, like growing up in Saskatoon, you know, there was, there's a, there's a lot of racism here and there's a lot of racism across Canada. And for people that don't want to recognize that or acknowledge it, you know, it's, it's, it, we're telling you from the people who experience it on a daily basis that it's out there. Uh, but through my sporting career, absolutely. Growing up, um, having instances where I remember I was playing in a game and I even had my braid pulled. Um, I remember people in the audience saying, you know, mocking me about my long hair. And, you know, a lot of the things that when I grew up um, hearing, you know, the derogatory terms that were being referenced to to us and our ancestors is something that um, has always stuck with me. But growing up, my so I was raised by my great aunt and my great aunt, um, she she really showed the effects like visually like with our family um, both my grand grandparents biological grandparents died of alcoholism my biological mother to this day still struggles with alcoholism but as a young person you know she really pointed out the struggles that our people face when it does come to um, alcoholism like within our own family and so even growing up hearing you know that all indians are drunks and we're not going to amount to anything was something that really stuck with me and I couldn't defend it. I couldn't defend people saying that because, you know, all of my family had had uh, used, you know, alcohol. And I didn't know anybody, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, who had abstained from drugs and alcohol. So when I was 12 years old, I made that decision to abstain from drugs and alcohol. And to this day, I'm 39 years old. I've never tasted a drop of alcohol or experimented with any type of drug. And that was for not only my children, but the generations to come after us, where if they ever heard that, um, you know, people could say, well, no, that's not true. And I've met so many people nowadays who, who have been drug and alcohol free their entire lives. But when I was growing up, that was something that, you know, I, I felt that I personally needed to take a stand um, to, to make sure that anytime somebody said something like that, you know, we had people that we could look to to say, you know what, that's not true. You know, even for yourself, you know, the, the path that you, you've you set for yourself, you know, is, is an inspiration to, to so many, myself included. And, you know, we can utilize you and your name and what you've done to be able to, to say, you know what, that's not true. You know, we do have people who are doing phenomenal work, who are educated, who are doing all kinds of stuff. So growing up, one of the differences, I think, with me and, and maybe some other athletes is uh, my grandparents, you know, being forced into residential school coming out of that and dealing with their traumas and their struggles, you know, found their way back to their traditional inherent way of life or spirituality, their culture. And what they ended up doing was um, getting connected and grounded to our traditional way of life. And even though we lived in an urban setting, we still had that connection to our ceremonies. And so when I came into their lives, when I was 10 days old, when my mother gave me up to them, um, I learned our, our traditional ways, our ceremonies, our culture, um, my given name, even, for example, you know, being young and having that. So I had a strong foundation of, of who I was, where I came from, and our history as a child. And I knew. And it, it really saddened me when, when people would, would make fun or, or tease our, our, our people, you know, not understanding. And we know today with the residential schools coming to light you know, those were stories we all heard growing up. We knew that. And as a youngster, I thought that was common knowledge growing up. And not until TRC came out, um, that was something that I realized, like, wow, like everybody doesn't know this. And so, again, having that strong foundation as a, as a child, you know, gave me the ability and the strength when I faced racism or adversity to be able to deal with it from a compassionate way. Um, realizing that a lot of people who are just saying these things about us didn't really understand our history and definitely didn't understand our, our cultures or our values. Because if people knew, if people really knew, you know, the way our, our traditional laws of kinship and even within ceremony, how welcoming and loving and caring we are as a people, like we are a beautiful people. And if people just could take the time to see that, you know, it would really break down a lot of those stereotypes that their parents and grandparents were told because, you know, and I, and I, I say it's not their fault, you know, because it's the, the, the 
country. You know, Canada, Canada made us the villains. And so they, the rest of Canada, you know, followed suit. So now that this is coming to light, a lot of people are upset with residential schools. So a little bit of a ramble there, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that uh, is, is important to recognize, you know, where we're at right now. No, it, and it is so important that, you know, that people, especially leaders like you and role models like you talk about racism and, and it does exist and you don't downplay it. Um, I think there's sometimes a natural inclination to not want to talk about the hard stuff, you know, for fear that it might bring hate comments and trolls and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we're never we're never going to stop those. But we have important messages for our people. And I really like how, you know, you, you stress the fact that our, our people are beautiful and our culture is beautiful. And there, there was never been a problem with our culture or who we are as a people. The only problem that was introduced was the violent colonization and the things that happened to us. And so when people suffer from addictions today, that's a direct result in every single case that I have ever been aware of, of the trauma of things like residential schools, 60s scoop, foster care, murdered and missing, high rates of violence, incarceration, all the things that the state has done. And so for people to even judge that, is is racism in and of itself because it didn't come from us and you know like I really appreciate that you reference our ceremonies too because you know as a young teenager of course I was partying around and I wasn't I didn't really understand the, the implications of you know drugs and alcohol and it wasn't until later when you know, I started doing ceremony and many of the elders say you can't be doing drugs or alcohol for a certain period before you do ceremony. But then if you follow that ceremonial path, you're, you're just forever in that spot where you can't be doing drugs and alcohol. And then I came to understand why. And and so I, like I, too, I don't drink or do drugs. And um, that's a commitment that I'm making to, you know, to my own health, to my kids and to youth who, who might look up to me because I have the ability to do that and to help advocate for people who are still struggling, you know, because of all of that trauma. And so, you know, I really appreciate it when people like you and Jordan and other, you know, sports heroes speak out about the racism that we face and, and how wrong that is. Now on a more positive light there's also you know society is also changing thank goodness because of our hard work and education and advocacy and I hope you don't mind I know some people don't like talking about their awards but you know when I was googling you and doing research because I had followed you and saw some of your awards I didn't realize just how many awards that you have been you know receiving and I'm thinking yes finally it's about time because as you and I were talking beforehand, before we started this podcast, like I wear this shirt in honor of Jim Thorpe, who was the greatest athlete of one of the greatest athletes of all times. You know, he's an amazing Native American and he never got his due. And you think about how many of our Native athletes never get their due. And so I was so pleased to see that you got the Tom Longboat Award. I mean, that's just so phenomenal for your outstanding contributions to sports as an Indigenous person. So, you know, it's like specific. And of course, um, there's the, you know, C Saskatchewan CBC, the 40 under 40. What I loved best about them picking you is that you're like the People's Choice Award. So people <laughs> are in all different categories and you're like, oh yeah, this is the people picking Michael. And I was like, that is just so amazing because you inspire not just Indigenous people, but, you know, people all over Saskatchewan. And I know that's just a few of them. You won the Inspire Award too in sports and uh, awards for your youth and all of that stuff. Um, how does it feel to be acknowledged for the work that you do? Because I know sometimes it's hard for us to kind of accept that acknowledgement, but it's so important. You're doing fantastic work. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I, the way I look at it is one, it's, it's, it's very humbling to be um, acknowledged. Um, and yeah, it is, it is tough at times to, to accept, you know, compliments or praise, but um 
I think when you when you're awarded or recognized with something, it's it's a it's really a reminder. It's a reminder that you're doing the right thing and you're on the right path. Because there's so many people who are doing, you know, the right thing and that are on the right path that, as you mentioned before, are not being recognized. So, you know, to take those opportunities where we can, you know, hold our leaders up high who are doing phenomenal work, you know, to help inspire and encourage the next generation because you know, for, for us, our generation and, you know, those, we, we have to recognize those who've come before us and the inspirational work that they've done, you know, that really set the, the path for us to be where we are today, you know, so that generational um, inspiration that we need to continue to, to do, you know, I think it's always nice um, when, when you can be recognized. But um, my mom, my mom shared with me, she goes, she, she has a tremendous amount of awards as well. And, she said, you know, she said awards are nice, but, you know, they're and not to downplay, you know, being recognized, but she said they're just awards. She goes, what's important is that you continue to do the work, whether you're recognized or not. So it's something that I carry with me and I want to share to a lot of people who may be listening, who are doing phenomenal work that may have not been recognized yet. Um, I think for those who are recognized, you know, it's, it's not, they're not doing the work to be recognized. And so I think it's nice when, you know, that, that opportunity is given to, to really shed light on the work that's happening. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that they're recognizing your work in your lifetime. You know, think about so many people that we, we, you know, we try to honor afterwards, like, you know, long after they're gone and it's important for their families and communities, but you know, it's a real disservice to not have recognized and honored them and, not just in sports think of all the people who are doing land defender work and water protectors who aren't famous they're not quoted in the media they don't like being spokespeople they don't want to do public speeches but they're on the ground every day like think of like all these groups of grannies saying oh never mind the cameras i just we need to do this work or the people who are doing ceremonies and all of that amazing work um they're all you know they're all deserving of recognition in, in some way and and think of all the people who contributed to where you are today like I can only imagine there must be so many yeah there's you know there's a tremendous amount and that's why I said the people who've gone before us um, you know my, my uncle Vernon Linklater um, he's actually my great aunt's biological son I know this all gets complicated with our traditional <laughs> family uh, systems but you know he was he was uh, an Olympic level athlete you know he he fought for the national team for many years he was four-time super heavyweight canadian champ um, he lost to lennox lewis in a split decision the year they were only sending one representative to the olympics and you know of course we know what lennox lewis went on to do but to show you know how good he was um really inspired me and for the fact that he traveled around the world within my own family was something that was able to to help me envision what was possible for me. So I think, yeah, like you mentioned, when we can recognize the people um, who, who are doing um, the work in while they're alive in this lifetime is, is important because, you know, it gives that uh, immediate um, impact to, to those kids who are looking up or to people in general. Um, and, and I like that you mentioned, you know, the people on the front lines, those land defenders, um, water protectors who are not being recognized, you know, who are being villainized really by the media in what they're doing. So I, I really commend them in the stance that they're taking because no, we don't see them. We don't see their face and they're not being, you know, glamorized in the media. So the work that they're doing is so important. And again, of course, for our, our, our traditional knowledge keepers and our ceremony holders, those are the ones that are continuing to keep our, our traditions and, and languages um, alive, which is going to, you know, of course, create a better opportunity for, for each and every one of us. Exactly. And think of the people that are helping us recover our language. You know, just that alone is is priceless. You can't you can't put a number on that. That's just so important and keeps us connected. One of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you, one of the things I just admire about your work so much, it's so personal to me and my two boys and my family and my extended relations is your campaign on boys with braids. Honestly, when I first saw that come out, 
it just made me so emotional because it speaks to the importance of it, the pride in it, but also the struggle that boys have had, you know, where to, to be proud and, and, and to have that part of their culture and to be, you know, made fun of or, um, you know, picked on because of it. So can, can you talk about, like, how did you come up with this campaign, Boys With Braids? And, you know, what what did you intend to do with this campaign? So it, it, it really stems back from when I was a child, um, growing up, playing out in recess, having my hair pulled, always being called a girl. And I even remember walking in public places, walking out of the men's room as a man was coming in um, and him, these men stopping immediately in their tracks and like taking a double take, looking at the door, making sure they're going into the right uh, restroom, like little things like that. Um, when I was, you know, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years old. Like I remember that still to this day. So understanding, you know, the impact that those little words, that those small actions whether they're intentional or unintentional and how, you know, recognizing how they've affected me or how they've stayed with me um, into my adult life. Um, move fast forwarding to me having my own children, you know, two of my boys both have long hair, they have braids and them coming home and telling me the same thing that I went home and told my mom, you know, where I was being teased. It was something where I was like, oh, okay, well, I've gone through this, so I need to help my boys through this. And I remember going home telling my mom, I said, I want to cut my hair. Um, people are teasing me. They're calling me a boy, uh, calling me a girl, and I don't like it. And I remember my mom. So this is my mummy. There's Maria who raised me and her daughter, Tidalee, um, my mom and mummy. So my mommy told me, she goes, don't cut your hair. She goes, when you get older, you'll thank me. And I said, okay thought about it for a very short time. And I said, okay, never thought of it ever again. And so now, yes, absolutely. I'm so thankful and grateful that I didn't cut my hair. But again, my boys coming home and telling me that they wanted to cut their hair. Mm -hmm. So what I was doing was I was going into their classroom every year because it was a new classroom and I would have to talk to the class and tell them why it was important. And then of course, through my generation, the explosion of social media, and being able to see how many other parents um, were struggling with the same thing that I was struggling with, especially within the school system. And so hearing more and more of this um, for a long enough time, I realized that something needed to be done. And I'm, I like to pride myself on being a person of action. And when I saw the need for it, I, I quickly sat down and I figured out how can, how can we do something to, um, encourage these young men to continue on their path, um, to continue to instill pride in them for, for their culture, um, to educate the general public on the importance and significance of why we as Indigenous people um, grow our hair. And then three, to shine light on this is an actual issue that our, that our young men face on a daily basis. Um, and how to do that, uh, figured, you know, one, I didn't want to do it with sponsorship or any of that because then somebody would have ownership over Boys With Braids and it had nothing to do with anybody having ownership or credit. Like it's, it's, it, the purpose was specifically for these young men who are going through this struggle. So basically created a, a gathering. And in that gathering, we brought together um, role models who have long hair uh, to share their story and to share what they're doing to continue to inspire these these young people who've they've been on that journey or they've gone through what they've gone through um, to have elders there um, again speak of that importance our grandmothers and grandfathers and then to have kids to have youth there speaking and interacting with one another because sometimes you know where it's very prevalent where we see a lot of our, our young men have long hair and are very prideful of it is when we go into ceremony or when we um, attend powwows. Lots of young men with that. So there they feel comfortable and they have pride. But when they get into the mainstream system, um, within our school system, especially in urban settings, and even in their own communities where some of the other um, of their classmates don't follow a traditional way or even, you know, affecting them. So 
really to provide this opportunity for a gathering to come together and just really help to encourage and instill pride um, and encouragement to continue on the path that they're they're on. So again, no sponsorship. There was no nobody has ownership and. My late father, um, I, I offered him uh, tobacco to have a pipe ceremony before this first gathering. And what that did was give Boys With Braids its own spirit, and it became its own entity. Nobody has ownership over it. Nobody, it doesn't belong to any person or thing or organization. So what happens is any community, any nation across Turtle Island that wants to have a gathering because we know our traditions and our teachings and ceremonies all differ from each territory. There is a template that's created that gives each community an opportunity to host a gathering and to really make it what works for them and their community. Because the bottom line is to just encourage these young men to continue on their path and be proud of who they are. You know, and sometimes it just takes a little bit of uplifting and a gathering to share a bit of praise. And one of the things, too, with that, that we always encourage is that we have the school systems involved. And you want to start from the top down. Uh, because when we're, when I was going to these classrooms, you think about how many classrooms are out there and how many teachers are out there. Well, there's, there's a lot. But if you start going up, just like how I worked my goals down playing professional basketball, is if you start from the top and you meet with all of those people and you set these mandates or these policies where when a child goes to a teacher and says, I had my hair pulled, so-and-so is teasing me, the severity that that needs to be dealt with, and this is what I share with a lot of the administration and superintendents and directors of education, is that it needs to be dealt when a child goes to a teacher and says, my hair was pulled, it needs to be dealt with in the same severity that you would deal with a sexual assault. Because growing up, we're taught that our hair is very sacred and it's a private part of our body. So nobody should touch that. Now, if you deal with it with the same um, respect you would if a child came up to you and say they were touched inappropriately, now you will see the effect that it, it has on us as, as men, as young men, when our hair is pulled because we do feel violated. So when you can wrap that around in this colonial context of our education system and help them understand in that sense, they, they, they start to move and they move quickly. So these gatherings that can happen anywhere, which it's happened as far as New Mexico, you know, it's happened out in Ottawa. There's been tremendous amount of places. And again, one person cannot do all of this work. And again, being respectful of each of the territories and having role models in their communities that they can see every day is gonna be more important than someone coming in and parachuting and saying, hi, here, see you. You know, so such such a, a, an amazing thing. And I'm, I'm so grateful for all of the communities and nations that have had the gatherings to, you know, really encourage their their younger generation. So, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of that in, in a nutshell. And I, it's like it's so special because it's uniquely for boys, you know, and and the pain that they have suffered throughout school, like for me with with your campaign here um, and that it has its own life, you know, its own spirit. I know that when my boys have kids, if any of those kids are boys, there, there's something, you know, like it's already out there. It's already something that we're proud of beyond the powwow trail, because I think, you know, we've all found a lot of security in the powwow circuit and that kind of safe space to be who we are and wear our regalia and, you know, our beads and and our braids. I mean, it's just such a standard part of powwows, but then you put it in a public school. Like, as you know, I don't have to tell you, um, more than half of our First Nation kids go to public schools uh, and sometimes even higher. So we don't even have the, you know, First Nation school safety necessarily. Um, and in public schools, it's a whole different thing. And I, oh, you know, I really appreciate how you talk to schools about it, that it's more than just, oh, you got your hair pulled, it hurt for a second, that was annoying. But that there's actually a cultural significance, there's a different kind of harm that happens uh, when that's, you know, when that happens and, and to understand that for Native boys, that's actually pretty significant and not to just dismiss that as, oh, that's no different than being poked in the arm because it's categorically different 
than being poked in the arm. So, you know, for me personally, thank you for doing that because I know my boys have struggled and I don't know how many times I heard, mom, they are calling me a girl at school and I want to cut my hair. And, and I'm sure you must have heard this a thousand times, more than a thousand times. And, and so just the fact that you know, you've brought it forward in this way, too, that it's not controlled, that it's very much respectful of our, our different traditions around the strength that's in our hair and why our hair is so important and, and all of that. So, you know, thank you for that important work. I know it, it touches my heart particularly, but I'm sure you must have heard from lots of people who've had feedback from their own kids about seeing, hey, look, there's this you know, basketball star, and he's wearing braid. And and look at these other people who are speaking and hosting conferences. And it's all about our braids and how important and awesome it is, as opposed to a negative thing. Yeah, no, it's it it has been nice to hear that. And again, I always give the the credit back to the communities that are that are hosting the gatherings because it does take some work and 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 time um, that you have to dedicate to make that happen. So to see how much the the community members really care about their young people um, is, is really heartwarming. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, making reference. And I, you know, I think for our young men who are growing up with long hair, there's so many different teachings. And in these gatherings, we talk about those teachings. But one of the things is, is um, compassion and understanding. You know, when you have long hair, you're, you're kind of putting yourself out there as, as being different. And when you're out there being different, you're, you're, picked on and so you have an understanding and compassion for people who are not necessarily um, you know being dealt a fair shake when it comes to whatever their choice is in terms of maybe the way they identify with themselves you know you want to be able to stand up and protect those people because you were once attacked so it, you you're creating these these young warriors to learn how to have compassion and to defend you know, and for me, like I understand, you know, my privilege as a man where I will never, ever have to worry about being sexually harassed or assaulted walking to my vehicle at night. You know, and that's something, you know, that you can like, I guess I can attribute to to having long hair. And, you know, it would be the closest thing that we as as men would ever feel, you know, in terms of a violation of, of a type of an assault is when our hair is pulled. You know, so to any educators listening, you know, it's really important that you understand that. And to any people listening that want to help young young people with long hair, anytime you see somebody with long hair, uh, a young person, a child, just compliment them on their hair. They're day in and day out, they're being having their hair pulled, they're told how they look funny or whatever. So it's nice just to hear a compliment. And I always make note of that. Anytime I see somebody with long hair, I just tell them they have nice hair. So I would encourage anybody listening to do the same. What a good idea. That's so amazing because I have a Warrior Kids podcast too. And we talk about issues that are just, you know, faced by kids. So I'm going to take a clip of, you know, you saying these things so that these Warrior Kids can understand that this is something to be you know, totally proud of that other people experience the, the same thing and that we can support one another in that. So I think, you know, again, just a really important message. And, and as we wrap up, I always ask um, my guests on this show, you know, words of advice. Um, do, do you have any words of advice for, you know, Nihia youth or any First Nations youth who maybe want to follow in your footsteps and play basketball or hockey or whatever it is that they want to do what what do you have some advice for them about how they can realize their dreams despite some of the challenges along the way i think the first thing especially with the last two years that we've been faced with is one to recognize that it it is okay to not be okay um, we all have struggles um, myself included we all have struggles that we have to face and deal with but when you come out on the other side you know, you have a lot that you've learned from some of these adversities that you face, whether it's um, within yourself or um, exterior within your communities. But I mentioned it before, it, it really, this the sky is the limit in terms of anything you want to do with your life. You have to find solutions, not excuses. 
When you really, really want something in life, the only person who's stopping you from getting it is yourself. And when you realize that, you will see so many barriers come falling down. And just always believe in yourself because you're going to have people that don't believe in you. And that doesn't matter because they're not living your life. You are living your life. So always believe in yourself. And when you have those moments of doubt, they will pass and just continue to encourage yourself. And you're, and you're a prime example of that because we all go through doubt and worry and stress and thinking we can't do it or feeling like we just don't have what it takes or we don't deserve it. But ultimately, you just push, push, push through that and look at your incredible success. And, and, I, and I define success in a multitude of ways, but the way you've reached out, um, the way that you're trying to learn your language, that's a success. But you know, the way that you've embraced ceremony and stayed drug and alcohol free, that's a success. You know, it's in addition to being a professional basketball player and in addition to all of the awards and things that people see as success, all of these other things are like the foundation of of success as an individual and you re you really inspire me and so many other people i can't thank you enough for this awesome conversation today and i just know our listeners and our viewers are going to absolutely love it so thank you um, for all the work that you do and for taking the time to talk to me today thank you so much and the feelings mutual you are an inspiration to me and so many so please continue to do the amazing stuff you're doing and thank you for having me and thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for taking the time to listen to these podcasts and videos and sharing them far and wide. And thank you to all of the teachers and professors who actually use these in their classes to help other people hear directly from Indigenous voices. We speak for ourselves on these issues and there's so much to be learned. There's so much good in all and all that we do we have like awesome people so i'll make sure to post a link as well to this cool youtube video that profiles michael in the fiba 3x3 it's an awesome profile and there's other links i'll get from michael and i'll post them so that you can see a little bit about what he's been doing what he's been up to and just how fantastic he is and don't forget to support Indigenous peoples in everything they do, whether it's sports, whether it's land defenders, whether it's content creators, find ways to support. There's always something you can do to help lift up Indigenous peoples. And you can support this podcast on Patreon or buy me a coffee and keep this podcast 100% independent. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag. We'll